Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. So we're continuing our series today, Twin Tracks, where we're exploring the Psalms. We're uh, using this metaphor of, of um, parallel railway tracks to describe the sort of the good and the bad that we all experience uh, in life. Uh, often, simultaneously, we have things that are going well in our lives and things that aren't going quite so well in our lives. This parallel track experience that we have as we journey through life. And... Um, We've talked about how the Psalms can help us ride these two rails, how they can give expression to our experience, how they can give us language, how they can help us with our prayers and our devotions. They put language to our twin rail experience. And even though they were written many, many hundreds of years ago, we can see in them the, uh, the same journey, the same experience, the same struggles that we also uh, experience in our modern day lives. Well, today I want to talk about the aspects of the psalm, praise and lament. Praise and lament we find in the psalms. And these essentially put language to the good and the bad, the positive and the negative that we experience in our lives. We could define praise uh, a little bit like this, um, expressing love and thanks to God for who he is and what he's done. We've done some of that this morning in our song worship. We've used song lyrics to try and express to God uh, our love for him, our thanks to him the fact he's present in our lives, the fact we see him working in our lives. We joyfully lift him up and we do this together and we do this individually as well. Uh, We're just thankful for his character and his presence. We could define lament uh, as expressing pain, grief, sorrow, (coughs) confusion, disappointment and regret to God. Uh, A lot more raw often uh, in lament we find a very raw expression of our experience. And if praise is about thanking God for what he has done, lament is often expressing what we perceive God hasn't done, where God hasn't come through, where God hasn't delivered, where God hasn't been present. And lament can be very impolite. It's very raw, it can be very bitter, it can be angry, it can be frustrating, it can be expressing all these whole gamut of emotions. And we find lament throughout the Psalms. Psalm 88 gives us an example of lament. It says this, I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? That's in Psalm 88. And again, the psalmist goes on to say, you remember me no more. You've cut me off from your care. And so we find in the psalms these expressions of raw emotion and confusion and frustration, passionate prayers, passionate prayers from the hearts of the psalmists. And of the 150 psalms in your Bible, uh, in the book of the psalms, 65 of them are classified as psalms of lament. Nearly half of them are psalms expressing these raw emotions back to God. They include laments for uh, fallen warriors, laments for illness, laments for victims of suffering, laments for the dead, laments of vengeance, of protest, of repentance, of loss, 
of regret, of depression. The Psalms are full of the whole gamut of human experience and emotion. Let's have a quick look at a few examples. Uh, In Psalm 13, a psalm from David, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? As we look at some of these psalms of lament, they might give language to your situation. They might resonate with where you are this morning. Psalm 22, again written by David, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Potentially the psalm that Jesus quoted when he was on the cross being crucified. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night I find no rest. Again, this raw emotion of frustration and confusion and perceived absence of God in the midst of suffering. Psalm 44 by the sons of Korah. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? And so we find this raw language throughout many of the Psalms, expressions back to God of the seemed absence of God, the seemed inability of God to come and prevent suffering and pain. There are many, many more examples that express lament throughout the scriptures but if you read through the book of psalms you also find another enduring reference that appears time and time again throughout the different psalms there's a continuing reference to god's unfailing love and this phrase is mentioned some 33 times throughout the different books of the psalms here's a few examples Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Psalm 6. May I trust in your unfailing love. Psalm 13. Psalm 33. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Psalm 36. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. Psalm 4. When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love... Uh, Lord supported me. Psalm 109, help me, Lord my God, save me according to your unfailing love. Again, Psalm 119, may your unfailing love be my comfort. And then beautiful words of Psalm 143, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. A beautiful prayer we could all bring before God every day, every morning, God, show me your unfailing love. I want to pause for a moment and tell you a story that involves one of these, a children's tricycle. When Kitty and I first got married, our first house was a a very small terraced house on a very steep hill called Gorsty Hill uh, in the Black Country, uh, in in the Midlands. Um, and um, it was called the Black Country. Many people ask me this question because of all the work and the foundry work that took place there. And the, it was very sooty and smoky and dirty. And that's why it was called the Black Country originally. Many small cottage industries sprung up around that space. And so Gorsty Hill, this steep hill, we bought our first little terraced house when we got married. And our little son, Josh. And uh, lovely little house, but it opened right onto the street. 
literally a couple of steps, the front door, and you were into the house. Uh, it's called almost like a two up, two down. You had your front room, your kitchen, and then you went through into the garden. And it's a long, narrow garden. And the problem with the garden was it was on two levels. So you went out of the back door, and then you were faced about an eight or ten foot bank before you could get to the top part of the garden. So we thought we need to do something about that. So we had a friend who was a builder, and he offered to put some steps in for us. And so he put these uh, broad steps. I mean, the garden was only about probably 10 or 12 feet wide, not very wide at all. But he put these full-width steps that took you from one level up to the top level. And we built a patio, and we put a lawn in. Great, we had a nice little garden in our first family home. And this was a great success. But the problem with the top patio was it wasn't very child-friendly because there was quite a significant drop off the patio down the steps. Josh, our little toddling son, loved to cycle on his tricycle. And the best place to do that was on the top patio. You can sense the foreboding joy, can't you, in the room, in that sense of... So one day, it was a sunny day, and uh, we were in the garden, and Josh was cycling his tricycle on the top patio, and uh, I was out there keeping a watchful eye on him. And, um, and then I was chatting to the neighbour. We had a, a fence at the garden, a very low fence. I'm chatting to the neighbour. And the neighbour, their family, also had a, a young daughter, similar age to Josh. And we suggested, why don't you come over and the kids can play together? So they popped round and they brought their daughter over. And there was, it was all harmony and fun and sunshine and yeah. laughter. Excuse me, could you clarify where I was? I'm just about to say where you were. Now, at some point in the story, I don't remember when or why, but Keely had to pop out. And before she popped out, her resounding words in my ears were, make sure you keep an eye on Josh. Make sure, you know, he doesn't have an accident. I said, no problem. What could possibly go wrong? So Keely pops off and I'm left with... um, friend from next door and we've got the daughter and we've got Josh all happily playing and at some point the guy from next door decides he needs to pop back around home he says I'm just going to pop back around home I said no problem so he popped down the steps into the kitchen through and as he went he said I'll leave the front door open so I can get back in so it was in the old fashioned Yale lock so I heard the words leave the front door open and then I kind of turned to have a little look to make sure Josh was okay and saw his daughter disappearing down the steps into the kitchen making her way towards the front door More steps, main road and cars. So I was like, ah, what do I do? So I said, Josh, you stay there, don't move. I'll be back in one moment. So I ran down the steps, through the house, and scooped up the little girl just before she got to the front door. Fantastic. Saved the day. At that point, I heard the crash and the clatter and the cry. Went back through the house, and there was Josh, halfway down the steps on his tricycle, crying, not looking very happy. So I scooped him up, now I've got two children, Scooped him up, and uh, he'd uh, got a few bumps and grazes. And, um, but generally, it was okay, no broken bones. He'd only fallen down half the steps, thankfully, not all of them. At this point, Keely came back. <laughs> and she took one look at Josh, and she took one look at me, and she said, <laughs> I thought I told you to keep an eye on Josh. And um, it wasn't pretty, was it? for a while Um, (laughs) eventually I managed to explain my predicament of trying to keep two children safe and being kind of in a a no-win situation and things calmed down a little bit and um, but on 
first glance when Killy came back, it could have appeared that I was a negligent father. You know, I didn't care enough. I didn't, uh, you know, I wasn't watchful enough to keep Joshua safe. I didn't appear to love him enough to stop him cycling down the steps and hurting himself. And that's how things appeared when Keely first came back and saw the apparent situation, saw the minor damage to Josh's face. <laughs> A lot of damage. <laughs> he, he grew up okay, he's fine. <laughs> My love for Josh that day hadn't failed. You know, I hadn't stopped loving him. I didn't love him less. That wasn't the reason why the accident happened. But Keely could have come to that conclusion very quickly when she saw the situation, saw the pain, saw the suffering. It wasn't my lack of love that day that caused him pain and trauma. I love him as much today as I did then. My love for him is still, to use the Psalms words, unfailing in that sense. It wasn't lack of love that caused the pain and trauma in Josh's life, even though it looked like it, even though it looked like I'd been the absent father, even though it looked like I didn't care enough to keep Joshua safe from harm. And the reason I tell you that story is because there's many times in our lives when we look at our circumstances and we look at our pain and we perceive that God is an absent father. We could believe that God doesn't love us enough or care for us enough to keep us from suffering, to keep us from pain. And just like the psalmist, we might feel abandoned. We might feel like God has turned his back on us. We might feel unheard. We might feel like God has chosen not to care for us anymore, not to love us. We're not seeing breakthroughs. We're not seeing things change. And so our experience would say, well, God is now an absent father. God's no longer for us, no longer loves us, no longer cares. It seems God's turned his back on us. And the temptation for all of us when God turns his back on us is for us to turn our back on God. It's for us to say, well, if that's what you're going to do, this is what I'm going to do. You turn your back on me, I'll turn my back on you. And unfortunately, many believers over the years, when they've hit a hard time of confusion and pain, they've turned their back on God. They've turned away from God because they perceive that God has turned his back on them. If he's abandoned me, then I will abandon him. But what the Psalms teach us in times of pain, a better response is lament. A better response is to turn our emotion back to God, to express our raw feeling, to express our confusion, to express our pain. Joshua certainly expressed his raw feeling to me that day, and so did Keely. I got, I, got, I got a lot of raw feeling that day because of, the, uh, of what was going on in the situation. If we turn our back on God when we're in pain, we're only in a partial relationship with God. If we only connect with God in times of happiness and joy when we feel God is present, and yet we turn away from him in times of pain, then we're only really in a partial relationship Praise without lament is only a partial relationship. It's okay. Is it Jesus? (laughs) Lament doesn't push God away. Sometimes we think we can't come to God with the rawness of our emotions because somehow we'll offend him. Somehow we'll 
you know, he'll be offended by the strength of our feeling. He'll, he'll think that we're, we're not grateful. But lament doesn't push God away. In fact, lament produces greater intimacy because it expresses the fullness of our relationship with him. It's a greater expression of our reality. Both praise and lament are supposed to be passionate expressions from the heart. Passionate expressions from the heart. Authentic outpourings of who we are and what we're feeling back to God. And when we're passionate about praise and lament, we deepen our relationship with God. We deepen our intimacy with him. God's worthy of your joyful thanksgiving and your joyful worship, but he's also worthy to receive the rawness of your emotion. I didn't turn my back on Keely or Josh that day because they were expressing raw emotion to me about the situation we found ourselves in. When we practice praise and lament in the good and the bad times, we're showing that it's possible to have this deep, fearless, intimate relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. If you talk to someone about God who doesn't yet know God, and you say, I can express all of my emotion back to God. God isn't this figure that's somehow going to take offence if I'm seemingly irreverent in my expression of, of my pain back to him. It demonstrates, it validates the fact we can have this deep, fearless relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. If you never acknowledge your pain to God, you'll never know what it is to come out the other side of that pain back into joyful expression of praise. We have a phrase often used around church. We can either just inform somebody or we can involve them. And if, you're, if you've got a real friend and they say to you one day, let's go for a beer and you're out for a beer and they say, oh, past 12 months I've been struggling with this terrible illness but I'm at the other side of it now and you know, let's have a beer to celebrate. You'd be going, well, why didn't you involve me? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you allow me into your suffering to be a companion with you? Why just inform at the end? And it's like that with God. God wants to be involved in our lives, not just informed about our lives. God wants to know every aspect of what we're going through. God wants us to be authentic in our worship and our pain, in our praise and our lament. And it's this kind of deepening that deepens our relationship with God. It becomes even more real. During our series, we've been looking at these two rails, haven't we? These two rails symbolising the parallel tracks of good and bad. Well, get a bit nerdy now. During the electrification of the railways in the early 20th century, they introduced a third rail. Just see it on the side there. That third rail carried electricity, 750 volts of electricity that was picked up by a little device called a shoe that ran along that track and that enabled electric trains to come in and replace steam trains. That happened about 1915, 1920. And so trains could then run on electricity rather than burning coal to make steam. And the reason I want to talk about this third rail today It's because we think about this third rail, I feel, as God's unfailing love. This third rail running alongside the other tracks, this is the third rail of God's unfailing love. And we can build a picture up that looks a little bit like this. We've got those good and bad 
experiences we go through in life. So let's think about that. Good and bad. Praise and lament. And then this third rail of God's unfailing love running through the middle of it all. This third rail that's always present in your life experience, whether you're going through a good time or a bad time, there's this third rail that's always there carrying God's unfailing love. And as you express your praise and as you express your lament, this unfailing love is a consistency that's present in both of those situations. When we express praise and when we express lament, we're trying to stay connected to the third rail of God's unfailing love present in our lives. We try not to let our experience disconnect us from what's carried in that third rail. That's the continuity of God's character and God's love throughout your life, regardless of what your experience may or may not tell you at any given time. And just like my tricycle story, there might be times when the pain and the suffering and the confusion that you experience tries to disconnect you from that third rail. It says actually that that third rail isn't present anymore, that God's love is absent at this time. But the reality is God is always present. God's love is always present. That's why the psalmists again and again, regardless of whether they're expressing praise or expressing lament, reference God's unfailing love. It's this continuum throughout our lives. And even these times when it seems like God doesn't love you, or God doesn't care, or God is absent, we need to try and hold on to the reality of this third rail, that God's love is unfailing. You see, lament isn't magical. When you lament, when you cry out to God, it's not like a magic formula. But it does help you to stay connected to the reality of God's love. If you just bottle up all your negativity and your frustration and your pain, and you never express that back to God, there's a high chance you will isolate yourself from God. You will turn away from God. You will, in a sense, abandon God. You'll disconnect yourself from this third rail that carries the power of his love. And what the Psalms say is don't do that. Don't do that. Take your pain, take your frustration back to God. Express it in its rawest and fullest form. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you fallen asleep? Have you turned your back on me? Where are you in this situation? Lament is not magical, but it helps us keep us connected to this third rail. And that's why so many psalms have it. So many psalms emphasize it. And what lament does, it is, it's got this hope instilled within it that through this, somehow, God, you are going to be victorious. You are going to be present. You, your unfailing love is going to come through. There's hope on the other side. But lament lets us express the painful reality of where we currently are, what we're currently feeling, what we're currently suffering with. So lament helps us to keep connected to this sense of God's unfailing love that is sown through with 
a promise of resurrection and renewal and restoration and new creation. That's all within that third rail of God's unfailing love. Now, you might not be comfortable with expressing your suffering back to God. The way you've been raised or that your church experience might mean it's very difficult for you to get emotional with God. You might struggle with getting emotional full stop. You might struggle with expressing emotion in that raw way. I want to encourage you to begin. The Psalms give us a blueprint for an authentic relationship with God. They give us permission to speak to God authentically and fully. The psalmists have gone before you, many hundreds of years before you, and they've shown you how you and I can express our emotions, our praise and our lament back to God. They've given us permission. And for you and I to be fully authentic in our relationship with God, we need to have both sides of the coin. It can't just be joyful praise. That also has to be expressions of the realities of when we struggle and when we feel pain and when we suffer. And if all we do is just internalise that part of our lives, then it is toxic. It will affect us. It will change our relationship with God. And we could get pulled away from that third rail of his unfailing love and his promise to be present with us through all of our lives. Jesus said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So I want to encourage you, think about how you can authentically express praise and lament in your life. If you need to go and stand in the middle of a field and shout and scream at God, go for it. We've got a huge amount of coastline down here. Go and stand and scream at the sea. Throw some rocks in, it works. Whatever you need to do, get in your car and go for a drive. Pretend you're singing, but really you're lamenting. You're really expressing how you really feel to God. It's healthy, it's authentic, it's part of our relationship with him. Don't bottle up your feelings. God is big enough and loves you enough to take all of your emotion. So when you go to him beating on his chest because you're so frustrated, he's a father who can receive that. He's a father who can embrace that. And that's why praise and lament are so important. They keep us connected to this third rail of God's unfailing love. They give us true expression. They validate that our relationship with God is authentic. If you're able, why don't you stand with me? I'm just going to invite the band to come back. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.